Well, as you can see from the screen here this morning, the title of our sermon is Pray for Boldness. Pray for Boldness. And many prayers that we have looked at, or even if you consider the topic of prayer, many prayers are requests. They're petitions, they're requests on behalf of oneself or intercessory petitions on behalf of the needs of others. But they're effectively requesting help Asking God for help with things that we need help with. And as you think about the need to go to the Heavenly Father and say, help me, it's because life is challenging. Life is difficult. You see, the human experience is full of difficult tasks, difficult trials, difficult challenges. There's various kinds and there's various degrees of those difficulties, but there's hard things. And that's true as it relates to the spiritual realm, but it's also true as it relates to the physical realm. There's hard tasks and trials and challenges that we face each and every day in a human physical sense, things that are frankly tough, where you could, you could use a helping hand. In fact, that's why often, even in a work scenario, you're working alongside fellow workers or other workers to accomplish one joint task a task that could not be accomplished at all by one person, or if it could, it wouldn't be done efficiently, or that person would likely get injured in the, in the attempt. But that's also true when you think about the spiritual realm. There's difficult trials, there's difficult challenges, there's difficult tasks that we come across even in the spiritual side of things or way of looking at things where God has said, you need help. And so you think of the ways that he's undertaken to provide the help that is needed. One, he put us into a fellow worker scenario in the realm of faith, too, where he put us in a body of other believers so that we would have brothers and sisters in Christ. But he refers to us, Paul does, uh, the Spirit of God refers to us this way through the Apostle Paul, many times as fellow workers, fellow laborers. Because the mission is to not live for self, but to live to lift up Christ. We've been given a mission, a task. And in accomplishing that task where Paul describes himself as a doulos or a servant or slave, a bond servant of Jesus Christ, that our life is not ours anymore. Our life is now hidden in him. Our, uh, the life that we have left is to be lived by faith in the one who loved us and gave himself for us. But Paul says your life is not your own. You've been bought. You've been purchased with a, a price. God has a plan for you. He rescued you through no input of your own. He came and he made a way where there was no way that you ever could have solved the problem that you had facing the consequence of the sinfulness that you were identified with. God said, I don't need your help in this at all. I'm going to make a way to rescue you. I'm going to offer salvation to you. I'm going to make an invitation to you to be rescued. The only part you play in this is, will you take that hand that I extend to you? Will you receive through faith the salvation that I've already made available? So as you're thinking about then his plan for your life, he says, though, now that I have shown the depth of my love for you, now that I have reached down, stooped down, even taken and given up the glory of heaven to send my only son to die as a sacrifice in your place, in light of that, since your, your ability to even experience life has been purchased through the death of Jesus Christ and the blood that he shed for you, wouldn't your reasonable response to that be to want to live a life that would serve him and would lift him up? Well, that's the conclusion that Paul reaches as he teaches through the writes letters here in the New Testament. And that's a conclusion that is, again, inspired by God breathing through him the words of Scripture that we now have in front of us. Your life is not your own. Now, does that mean mechanically you've been made into a robot where God is now going to take what's left of your life and he's going to force you to live that life in a way that is as an indentured servant to him? No, this is a voluntary choice where you have, you have the ability to do whatever it is that you want with your life. God has given you life. He's given you access to an eternity to be spent with Him. But in time, He says, you have the ability to live life here now too. But the only way that's going to actually happen is if you see that you've died and what's left of your life needs to be hidden in me. Now, it's true positionally, but it needs to be true practically in order for you to experience what I mean when I talk about an abundant life or a life of purpose or a life of value. It's going to be, have to be a life that gives up on self and says, my life is now in your hands, Lord. Use me. Direct me. Work through me. Shine through me. Transform me. Make me into something different. I'm clay in your hands, as the Master 
potter. That's the decision, though. It's a, it's a moment-by-moment decision. Am I going to put my place, myself in that yielded position of dependence where I'm letting God do his work in me? Again, he doesn't force it, but that's what he's after. He, say, he says, come to a place of salvation just as you are. Come broken. Um, I come broken to be mended. I come wounded to be healed. There's a song that uses those lyrics. I come as I am. We have, we have an older song, just as I am. So come as you are, but he doesn't want to leave us that way. He wants to change us, but he doesn't again force that change. So as you're thinking about the spiritual realm, there's these hard and difficult things, but we have no ability to handle them or deal with them on our own. See, Christ says the only way that you're going to thrive and experience the full measure of life that I have planned for you is if it's me who's working in you. If it's me that's empowering this. And he tries to illustrate that point in John 15 by talking about how the vine has to stay connected to the branch. And, and you could, we're not in a vine culture here. We don't deal with that as often. But in our culture, maybe you could think of even just the leaves that are connected to the branches. Branches connected to the trunk. Trunk connected to the, the roots of a tree. And the idea is that the, the leaves of the tree rely on getting their nutrients from all the way down in the roots. And that the roots absorb those nutrients from the earth. They absorb the nutrients and then the, the water that's need, needed, the moisture that's needed. And all of that funnels its way through God's amazing plan and, and his amazing design and creation. It funnels its way to the, to the very ends of the leaves. And then the leaves, some of them are flowering types of trees or flowering types of plants and they even produce beautiful flowers. Some of them are fruit trees or fruit plants and they produce beautiful, abundant, wonderful, delicious in some cases, fruit. But it's not because of the fruit. It's a byproduct of the fact that the fruit is connected to all the way down to the roots, the sources of that empowerment. And so Jesus tried to teach his followers that you're just like that. You're just like that piece of fruit or that or that that vine that ultimately could produce fruit because ultimately you're connected to the branch. But I'm actually the one that's empowering this and providing all the nutrients and all the resources to make this possible. So while you stay intimately connected to me and you're relying and depending on me, you will what? You will be able to bear fruit. Now, you you never produce fruit because the vine has nothing to do really with whether the there's fruit produced or not. It has to do with a lot of environmental factors, but it has to do with how much nutrients and how much nutrition can the tree provide and is the tree healthy enough so that the fruit could be born. The fruit could be ultimately end up hanging from that, from that branch. So the one that stays connected, the one who remains intimately fixed on and relying on the resources of another to work in and through him, Jesus is trying to say that person can bear fruit as I live in them, as I work through them, as they get themselves out of the way and allow this, let this happen. And that's the posture is, will we let that happen? Well, in the spiritual realm, that's how we're supposed to be facing the trials and the challenges and even the difficult tasks that we face. Is it true that on a human level, there are spiritual tasks that are, we're convicted of, where I see God wants to use me in this way, that, that are difficult? Well, yeah. They're not difficult in the sense that it's a faith rest kind of approach to life where we're trusting God with it, but the reality is there's hard things. There's challenging things. There's things that in your own, again, from a human perspective, you don't feel qualified or prepared or equipped for. And that's exactly the kind of place God wants to use you because more often than not then, you're more likely to remember it's not I, but it's Christ that's working and living in me. Because I'm insufficient in myself, I see that. And so if God is able to use me to accomplish this mission, this spiritual-oriented mission, then it's going to have to be Him being the one who's doing it because clearly it's not something that I would naturally be gifted at or able to do or any of that. And even if I was gifted, I would recognize that that's something that ultimately comes from God too because every gift and every good thing is from above. And so as you finally think through this and as you're working through this, you're saying, all of this comes back to, Lord, I need you. Oh, I need you. Every hour I need you. I need you with the little things. I need you with the medium things. I need you with the big things. I can do nothing apart from 
you. And that's the posture that's God, God's trying, or sorry, the mental attitude, and then the resulting posture that God is trying to or desiring to get every single one of us here this morning to, myself included. He's trying to get us to the place where we can finally see and, we, and, and not forget so quickly. To, to see in a way that we internalize and allow it to become a, a way of living and a way of thinking that's permanent, though the reality is as long as we still have the influence of the sin nature, the flesh, the world, the devil, the reality is that we're going to trip up at times. But to, a, to an ever-increasing increase, measure, that we would have this describe our mentality, that we have this understanding that I need to stay connected to you. I need help with all of it. And when I'm connected to you and I'm relying on you and I'm depending on you and I'm yielded to you and I'm a clay a, a clay, just a mass of clay, uh, a, uh, I'm at loss for words here, a clump, that's what I wanted, uh, a clump of clay that has nothing special about it. When I'm that clump of clay, but in the right hands, I see that you can use me. I see that you can do something with that. I'm just an earthen vessel. Uh, there's, there's nothing special about it. I'm the, I'm the lowliest of vessels in that sense, but yet, God, when you're working in and through me, you can mold me and transform me and make me into something that's useful, useful for your mission to, in accomplishing the mission you've given me. And part of that is then to be useful in the lives of others around me because the posture, again, is not me but Christ. To be focused on Christ is to be focused on how Christ wants to work in my life to benefit the one another's that he's put in my life. So... There's difficult tasks. But, and nobody escapes these hardships and these battles in the physical realm or the spiritual realm. But thankfully, we have the Heavenly Father who possesses limitless resources. And so when we're talking about asking for help, if the Heavenly Father possesses limitless resources, and, and then we add to that the second statement of fact, which is that the Heavenly Father loves His children desperately and wants to assist them. So if He has limitless resources and He loves you desperately and He wants to assist you, we just follow this chain of logic. So then the only thing that is needed is that we would ask for help on behalf of ourselves or the others that God has put in our lives. If God is able and He's willing and wanting to help then he says, you have not because you ask not. The only thing missing in this is, are you crying out for help? Are you turning to him for help? Are you seeing your need for him to be the one who does this? Are, are you in a place mentally where you would recognize that I need the help of the Heavenly Father if I'm going to live a life that has any purpose or value or meaning in time? So to do, to do that, though, you have to have that mental recognition or come to that place where you see that you have a need. You have to see that you have a need and you have to see that God is able and he has the power to intervene on your behalf. And when I think about what stops us from thriving, and I could only do it you know, focused on myself and look at my own life, like what stops us from experiencing the, the life that God has plan for us. I think the most common obstacle to that is a failure to even ask the Father for help. Sometimes it's a, it starts, though, with the failure to recognize that I need help, and then the second thing that I fail at is asking God for that help. See, failure to do so, I'm convinced, is the number one thing that's missing in our lives. To, to see I have a need for assistance get past that toddler mentality of I can do this, I do this, I don't want help, pushing hands away, pushing helping hands away. And God's reaching out, he's saying, let me help you with that. <laughs> you know, how many, how many of you have watched that happen in your own lives? Where you're just struggling desperately. Anyone standing by would just say, man, this is, this is hard to watch. This, this is so hard to watch that I want to just get in there and help, help you with this. Because clearly you have no idea what you're doing. That was my dad my whole childhood as I was trying to work on things. He, him being a mechanic on F-16 fighter planes, he was obviously a more skilled wrencher than I was. And so, but trying to be a good father, naturally he's trying to show you things about how to do these things. And that means taking the wrenches and handing them over to you. 
and then standing back and trying to give advice and, 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 but let you do it. But if you can do it a hundred times better than the one that you're watching do it, it's really, really challenging to not just grab that wrench out of their hands and just do it, do it yourself. And so that's the thing, though, that a heavenly father, and I see that with my, my own son, I, I have best intentions sometimes of, you know, I'm going to show him something, I'm going to involve him in something, I'm going to have him help. So we'll be laying underneath. And it's always an awkward thing, right? You're in the dirt, you're on your back. It's something like that that you don't want to indefinitely be laying there. And they're struggling, right? Who's been, I mean, it's maybe just me, but they're struggling and it's slipping off and slipping off and slipping off. The ratchet's in the wrong direction. We're going the wrong direction. You know, it just isn't going anywhere. And you're lying there. You usually got a rock poking into your back. It's hot. The mosquitoes are on your face. I'm just making excuses here to make myself seem like a, a not so bad of a father. But every fiber of you starts to just want to rip that wrench out of his hand and just do it. And maybe that's just me, but the Heavenly Father's not like that. He watches us struggle, and he's, he's, the whole time all he's saying is, I can help you. I can help you with that. I could help you with that. And, and we're just pushing those hands away. You know, because there's other times where the issue isn't that you're trying to take over and not let them struggle. Sometimes the issue is that they are struggling, they need help, there's no way they could do it apart from you, your assistance, and you're saying, let me help you with that, and they're the one who's saying, no, I don't need any help. And no matter how long they tried, you know that they're never going to be able to do this on their own. And so in any event, that's the problem when we come to the Christian living, when we come to our our lives and our relationship with the Lord is that we have to get to a place where we see that we need help, that He's always available and willing and wanting to help us. And everybody needs prayer as it relates to asking for divine intervention and assistance with life's struggles. Imagine that you had access to the help that you need, but you just won't utilize it. And now you see your typical struggle in the Christian life. If you could narrow it down to anything, you have access to the help that you need, but you will not appropriate it. You will not take advantage of it. You won't turn to the Lord for that help that you need. But what a weird thing to do. It's so strange to have the resources available, the exact ones that you need at the exact time that you need them, and and to see the unpleasantness that's associated with struggling, but just choose to struggle anyway. It's not fun to struggle, is it? It's not pleasant. And, and the solution is right there in front of us. And, and all we need to do is ask, and he's ready, and he's willing, and he's able to help. And we're saying, now I'm just going to keep on struggling. I'm just going to keep on being miserable. I'm going I'm to keep on doing the same thing that's never worked before, and I'm just going to keep on doing that. Because I'm so hard-headed. And so when you're thinking about this need, the Apostle Paul was no exception to that. He faced hard things in his life, but eventually he got to the point where he said, I see that I have these hard things, both physical, physical things and spiritual things, and I've learned to, instead of just being miserable and wallowing in them, I've learned to cry out for help. I've learned how to ask for help. And so we earlier in our study on Apostle Paul's prayers, we went through in Romans an example of a prayer where Paul asked other believers to pray for him. And his requests, he had several requests, but they dealt with the details associated with the success of his mission. He recognized that he had a mission, that God had assigned him with a mission. And so his prayers then were, he saw, I need help, I need assistance, and I see that prayer is a way that we ask God for that assistance. So he said, not only am I praying this, but would you pray for these things for me too? And so today we're going to come to our second example of Paul asking for assistance. But he starts out by highlighting the overarching importance of prayer in general. And then he requests prayer again for himself, again as it relates to the success of his mission. So if you haven't already, Ephesians chapter 6 is where we're going to be here this morning. We're going to pick up in verse 18, and we'll read through verse 20. Here's our prayer. It's funny, my Bible is just a study Bible. This is extra biblical. This isn't inspired. These 
little captions or the way that they break it down into paragraphs, but mine happens to call this section the warrior's resource. The warrior's resource. Now, in the context, Paul is closing out this letter by reminding these believers to find their strength in the Lord and appropriate the defensive armor that God has provided them in order to withstand the enemy's attacks. So on the leading right up to this verse, we have the be strong in the Lord, starting with the, the uh, armor that's provided to the believer. In verse 10, it starts with, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Then what does that involve, being strong in the Lord and the power of His might? Well, it involves putting on the armor that God provides with what purpose in mind that you would be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. He then goes on to talk about the spiritual battle that we're facing in verse 12. And then he starts to identify, again, the purpose of this armor is that you'd be able to withstand in the evil day you would be able to stand firm, stand fast, not be blown over, not be blown about by every wind of doctrine even, but not to be pushed over to be stand strong in your faith. And then he talks about some of the various pieces of that armor that God has provided in verses 14 and 15. And he ends with verse 17, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. But now he's going to cover all of this with an overarching general principle, an umbrella that goes over all of this. And so we pick up the warrior's resource in verse 18, praying always, it's a continuation of the same sentence from verse 17, praying always, so while you're doing this, you're praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. And then verse 19, and for me, he says, so while you're praying always, pray for me that utterance may be given to me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that in it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. So in our context again, he's again wrapping up the letter. These are the last things before the conclusion of his letter where he says goodbye and talks about various people and, and ends with his traditional peace to the brethren, love with faith from God, and grace be with all those who love our Lord Jesus Christ. And as you're thinking about what he's wrapping up, though, he's talking about the battle that we face spiritually, the resources that God has provided, and then he sort of comes down to the, the biggest one of these, the umbrella over it all in verse 18. So he starts his verses here by just talking about the value of prayer in general. So as we look at verse 18... We have him saying, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints, a little bit of repetition. But the idea is that while you're focused on appropriating the provision that God has for us to be successful in the face of the spiritual adversaries that we face, pray always. See, it's presented as the umbrella over all the other defensive preparations. He's not saying, he's not throwing it in as as just an afterthought. He's saying, above all of this, and while all of this is taking place, don't stop praying. Pray always. That's the umbrella over all of this, this other armor that's been provided to you by God. And this word always, it means habitually or on every kind of occasion, meaning regardless of what you're facing. So he just got done saying, you're facing spiritual opposition. There's a battle that's raging. I provided you with various tools, various armaments, so that you could defend yourself, that you would, you would not be blown over, that you could stand your ground in this, with the mission that I've assigned to you. And the mission that I've assigned to you, of course, we'll get to later here, but it's to be an ambassador for Jesus Christ, to be a light in the darkness, to be proclaiming Jesus Christ into a lost and dying world, to be acting as in the role of a lifesaver as God's life-saving message is the person and work of His Son. So as I serve in that capacity as a missionary, as an ambassador, as one proclaiming a message of good news, a message that can save, in effect, I'm like the lifeguard who is throwing life jackets to people who are drowning. Because people are drowning and they're all around us in this lost and dying world. They're hopeless and they're helpless and they're hellbound unless they hear the good news of who Jesus is and what he's done. 
And so if we're the ones proclaiming that, it's in effect that we're throwing something that can save them. We're throwing it to them for them to grab a hold of. And what we're throwing to them is the person and work of Jesus Christ, how He loved them and He saw them in their time of need. He saw that they were estranged from Him as a result of their identification with sin. He saw that they faced an eternity spent both in time and forever apart from Him, which ultimately culminates in the lake of fire. He saw what their future destiny held. And He, in their time of need, wanted to make a way for them to be rescued just like He wanted to rescue us. So then He uses us to both make them aware that they have a need, that they have a problem, that they are in fact drowning, and then He also makes us the vehicle that He can proclaim His message of hope and salvation through, which is the gospel message, how that even though we deserved death, we deserved to be separated from God on account of our sinfulness, that God sent His Son to pay the debt that we owed so that by dying in our place on Calvary and bearing our sins in His own body, dying and paying the debt that we owed, we could go free. We could experience life, not because of what we'd done, but because of the rescue that God provided through Christ as Christ dealt with our debt, dealt with our problem for us. And then He offers eternal life to us as a free gift to anyone who would receive or accept or believe or trust in what He had done for them, put their confidence in His finished work on their behalf. And that's the simplicity of the gospel, but that's the mission that the Christian has been tasked with. So, as we face the opposition, while we're seeking to accomplish the mission, the opposition is constant. The opposition never lets down. The world, the flesh, and the devil are constantly trying to sidetrack us from being effective at accomplishing the purpose for which we have been rescued, which is to now be lights into that darkness that we were saved out from. See, we were a part of the darkness. We were identified with the darkness. We were rescued from the darkness. And now God hands us a light and He says, now that you've been rescued from the darkness, shine your light back into that darkness so that others could be rescued too. And too often, our response to that mission is, it's not that important. It's less important than all of these other missions and tasks that I've assigned for myself in life, which I have deemed to be of a higher level of value than the mission that God gave me to be His light in a crooked and perverse world. We don't say it that way. We don't even realize we're doing it at times. But time and time again, on the list of priorities of what is my life supposed to be about, is supposed to be about living to lift Him up, being a bright light for Jesus Christ. That should be the top thing, the number one thing. And what happens is that then everything else, which many of those things are still good, God pre- pre- provided most of them. He even made, a, made them available to us because He's not against all of these other things as, as long as they're not overtly unrighteous or sinful. He has all these other things that form the essence of the rest of our lives. He says, now arrange those under the mission though, secondary to the mission. And what, what could those things be? Uh, experiencing life with other people, having relationships with other people, having a family, uh, experiencing even a marital relationship, uh, working at a job, enjoying, enjoying ourselves with the, the fleeting things of this world. God doesn't begrudge us that. Uh, enjoying nature, re- relating to nature, even as uh, even a way in a, a sense of being reminded of Him and, and fishing and hunting and, and hobbies and off-roading and pickleballing and whatever it is that you do, all of these things that are not bad in and of themselves, they become a problem though when we subconsciously start saying, these are the things that I'm living for. These are the things that define my life. These are the things that that give me my purpose and and my joy. These are the things that give me contentment. These are the kinds of things that create and provide my identity as I'm now identified with all of these other things instead of who I am in Christ and the mission that He's gave to me. That's the problem. When we get to that place where we don't realize that the mission has to come first. Well, in that, as we're even looking at this verse, the idea is that if I'm praying always, it's because I recognize what the mission is I recognize the obstacles that are commonly coming along to try to interfere with the effectiveness of my mission. The effectiveness of my, my witness for Jesus Christ into the lost and dying world. And as I see that, there's all of these different obstacles and all of these different things that get in the way. I'm praying always or habitually on every kind of occasion as I see this. 
See, the immediate context is focused on specifically continual prayer that's related to the continual spiritual battle and the persistence of the enemy's attack. So when he's saying praying always, it's not just in a generic kind of a way. It's praying always because I see that the enemy's attack never stops. It never lets down. It's persistent. It's a battle for my thinking. It's a battle for my priorities. It's a battle ultimately for my mind. And so then you think about the value of praying on every occasion. So that's the instruction here from God, penned by the Apostle Paul or spoken by the Apostle Paul to these believers is pray always. But this praying on every occasion is something that is promoted throughout Scripture. It's taught specifically by Jesus. It's taught and inspired by the Holy Spirit in others of Paul's writing as he inspires Paul. And a couple of examples, maybe I'm, I don't have them on the screen here, but one is Jesus says this. He says in Luke 18, 1b, now this is the principle, not even necessarily the context, but he's talking about the value of prayer. And he's saying that men ought always to pray and not to lose heart. The same thing about praying always. See, prayer should be our first response, not our last response. It should be a way of living. It, it, it should characterize the way we go through life is that I'm just continually carrying on this ongoing conversation with God as if I'm on a long walk with a friend. And in essence, God says, I'm always with you. So in essence, you're always walking through life with him. He's never not there. And if he's so dear to you, and if he's closer than a brother, and he's the dearest friend... And if he's somebody who cares more about you and loves you more than anyone else ever could, and he's always right there, imagine going through and how awkward this would be to have somebody that you claim those things are true about, but as you're kind of walking along with them, you're starting to act like one of these older couples that spends time together but never speaks. They're like, until you get kidnapped or something and have like more exciting stories to tell, let's just go with silence. I've heard everything it is that you possibly could say, and we'll, we'll just be near each other, but let's not speak. And so often, I see, I see how that can happen, where people just stop, they just stop talking to each other, but they say, and, and it may even be true, that this person is very dear to them. But if that's true, and you're walking alongside of somebody, wouldn't you normally want to engage with them and interact with them and talk with them? Perhaps if it's a, you know, the love of your life, perhaps interlace your hand with their hand and walk along observing things, noticing things, facing things, experiencing things, and communicating and talking your way through those things as you go through life. I imagine that would make for a really good relationship. God gave us that model in his word where he said, treat me in that way where you just continually carry on a conversation of life with me as you engage in life and live life and take me with you through your life. I want to be that to you. I don't want to be this check-in once a day, check-in once a week, check-in once a year, check-in only when the times get real hard in the physical world and I have nowhere else to turn but you but to see that I'm constantly in a battle, that I have a mission, that you love me dearly, that you want to live life with me, and just talk to me through all of that. Paul says again in 1 Thessalonians 5.17, he says similar words where he says, pray without ceasing. Now, I want to touch on this very briefly. How is this even possible? And I've been explaining it as we've been going through our message here because I keep getting sidetracked. But the reality is, how is this even possible? Of course, it doesn't mean praying without ever stopping. It means habitually praying your way through the day. Now, if you're a note taker, jot that down. It, it, it means praying your way through the day. I'm praying my way through each and every day. Regardless of the various circumstances or details associated with each particular day, I'm having this ongoing dialogue with God. So just brief little spurts. Now, amongst all these other things that I have to accomplish. I can't, I can't be talking to God while I have to be focused on a task that needs my, my, my focus, I guess. I hope you're not doing that. 
if it's you're trying to work as unto the Lord, obviously you need to be paying attention to some of the things. You can't do it without paying attention. But how many, how, those are kind of rare, right? I mean, think about your job. Some jobs, like there's certain moments within that whole day where you have to have your undivided attention focused on, on this. Otherwise, we end up with what we were joking about at dinner last night. You end up in for the surgery and the wrong knee gets operated on. I mean, we hope that the surgeons are paying attention to what they're doing when, for things like that. If you're somebody who is responsible for the electrical systems at your job, when you're repairing it, we hope you're paying attention you know, when you're doing that so that people don't get killed and things don't blow up, right? But an awful lot of our day, we're spent doing routine or mundane things that don't actually require a tremendous amount of attention. We can kind of do them on autopilot. There's lots of parts of jobs that are that way where whole sections of your day might just be sort of mundane things where you can really kind of plug through those things, get accomplish the task, do it as unto the Lord, but you don't really have to have your undivided attention on it. I guess that's what I'm getting at is lots of times throughout the day there's a, a spot here and here and here and here and here throughout every hour of every day all of the time where you could just have that ongoing pray your way through the day kind of mentality. It describes a manner of living in which God is regularly and repeatedly included via prayer in every area, circumstance, time, and season of life. That's the idea of praying always. But I just like that phrase, praying your way through the day. Now, it's described as you're praying always with all prayer and supplication, and that just further describes the prayers being continually offered. Prayers represents the approach to God in general, and supplication is just another word that refers to a type of prayer involving specific requests or petitions. So there's nothing fancy about it. It's just another word that refers to a request being made to God. So pray your way through the day. Pray always with prayers in general, including the kinds of prayers that are specifically asking God for intervention or assistance with specific requests. Now, in the Spirit, we see next, so praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit refers to both the manner of living and means for accomplishing this. So, one, I'm walking in the Spirit. If I'm enjoying the Lord, then I'm walking by means of the Spirit. The Spirit is influencing my thinking. So, that's that's assisting with or promoting or even producing this prayer life that I have anyway. Because the Spirit of God who's directing and working in me, if I'm walking under the influence of the Spirit, the Spirit's going to naturally direct and influence me in ways that are consistent with God's desire for my life. So I'm going to pray always as influenced by God's Spirit is one way of thinking about it, but also it refers to I'm praying as influenced by the Spirit and then as empowered by the Spirit in the sense that any response to those prayers or even the ability to ask for the right things or pray the right things or even have the right mentality or the right focus or the right perspective, ultimately that's influenced by the Spirit's influence. It's influenced by the Spirit's influence. It's influenced by the Spirit working in my thinking and working in my life. And I was thinking about verses about how the Spirit of God empowers and shapes even the content of our continued prayers. So as believers adopt a spirit-dependent, spirit-directed, spirit-yielded life, an active and habitual prayer life is a natural byproduct of that. But then the Spirit is actually shaping the content of our prayers. And here's one verse talking about that. It says, likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weaknesses, which the, the truth is we are always weak. We are always insufficient. We are always inadequate. God is the one who is our strength and our sufficiency and our adequacy. So, for we do not, why does the Spirit have to undertake, even with our prayers? Because we do not know what we should pray for as we ought. We don't even know what we should pray for. But when I'm trusting the Lord, my eyes are focused on Jesus Christ, the author and finisher of my faith. I'm letting God's Spirit direct and undertake in my thinking. He helps to even give me insight regarding the things I should be praying about. Otherwise, I end up praying for things that wouldn't even necessarily be the kinds of things that God even wanted to have me focused on. And that's why this series or this study has been so useful is it's reminding us of the kinds of things that God at least is promoting in prayer in the prayers of Paul and maybe would, of course, be useful as we think about our own lives. They would inform our own views of what is important or what should be the focus 
of our prayers or what we could incorporate into our own prayers. Now he says, being watchful to this end. Being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. But being watchful to this end refers to the ongoing recognition of prayer's importance. That word actually means to remain alert, to not become neglectful or distracted. And when we look at with all perseverance, it's a continuation of that same thought. So as I'm remaining alert, I'm not neglecting to pray always, to have that be an ongoing pray my way through the day kind of a mentality. Then I'm going to do that with all perseverance, that's one description, and supplication for the saints. So the word perseverance is just two more characteristics that are describing or defining this ongoing prayer life that I have directed to the Lord. Well, perseverance just means to be intentional. So it involves being intentional, staying steadfast, remaining diligent, giving constant or persistent attention to something. So that word, at least the underlying Greek word, that's what it means, being intentional, staying steadfast, remaining diligent, and giving constant or persistent attention to something. Meaning this won't happen accidentally. If I never even think about it or consider it, I have to be intentional about this idea that I'm praying, God, give me a heart and a desire that sees the value of this ongoing conversation with you that you want me to have and experience as I go through my days. And then once I've been convinced of that, Lord, allow me to stay and continue doing that, to not falter, to not allow that to just fall off or fall to the wayside. And then you look at this phrase, supplication, again, I already explained, it just means to ask for something, petition something on behalf of others, though. Usually the word supplication differs from petition only in the sense that it recognizes a petition that is directed in an intercessory way on behalf of somebody else is a specific application of the word supplication. But I wanted you to hang or hone in on this word or this phrase, all the saints, supplication for all the saints. So it's petitions on behalf of others, but how many others? Well, the, the believers who haven't offended me lately. The, the believers that are in my periphery. The believers that I've seen recently. Now when we see all the saints, it reminds us that every believer needs prayer and grace extends. Grace involves having a compassion and a concern and a love for people regardless of whether they deserve it or not. And so when you think about, a lot of times as a kid, I was like, pray always. Like, how could that even be possible? Uh, not even in terms of like, how could I even do it? Not realizing that that would have to be something that the Spirit of God would have to convince me of and empower me to do. That I would have to see God in a little bit more personal way than I did at the time. I would have to see God as closer than I did at the time and not distant and far away. I would have to see him right there because as a child you struggle to imagine talking to somebody who you're not in their presence with. But now when you're reminded of and you can picture that God is right there, he's right by my side, he's walking with me. Now it's, it's helping, you know, and God's becoming, as God more, becomes more personal, that's helping. But then I was just talking about, thinking about the logistics of how could you ever have enough to pray for that you would pray without ever stopping? And then as I've gotten older, I've considered how many believers, just believers, we're not even talking about the loss, which we added that to our prayer list recently, just a little bit clearer at the top. You know, we need to be praying for the unsaved in our community too. We, sometimes we're just happy that we're saved and we forget. We forget how important it is that we should have a burden for the others that are in our community that don't know the Lord. And so in any event, we need to pray for them too. But let's just talk about the believers that you've met, the people of faith that you've met in your life. And the older you get, the more of them there are. So pretty soon, now you think about that. I only have so many moments, so there's the moments I have to be doing other things. And that in between, interlaced between those moments, I'm having this ongoing pray my way through the day mentality. And I'm, I'm, talking, to, I'm talking to the Lord. There's a song I've been listening to lately. It's called Talking to Jesus. To talking about a way of life where I, I'm just going to talk to the, my Heavenly Father. Obviously, when you talk to God, you're talking to the, a God that can't be separated in any event. We address our prayers to the, the Father generally, but the reality is that you're praying to, to God in general. But as we come to this idea of could I run, ever run out, and the answer is no. <laughs> you can't even keep track of all the people that you've come into contact with who are just other believers. And so in any event, we have that here. All the saints, 
that's who we should be praying for. And do we have that burden? You know, we sometimes, we have a prayer list that's a couple of pages long. It doesn't even scratch the surface. It doesn't even scratch the surface of all the saints that Paul is talking about here. Now we get to verses 19 and 20. Move a little bit more quickly through this because the general focus here from Paul is that prayer is important. Prayer is, should be the umbrella over everything else in your life. And now he's just being specific and saying, and as part of praying for all the saints, I want to remind you that I'm one of them. Okay, so he just got done saying, pray always, never stop, pray always. For who? For all the saints. And then the continuation of that thought is, and I'm one of them. And so pray for me. Pray for me. He says, and pray for me that utterance may be given to me, that I may open that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that in it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. So this is, again, we saw this in Romans 15, our first picture, or where we saw Paul specifically say, pray for me. But he does it, we observed even then, so I'm not going to cover it now, but he, in other letters, Paul asks his readers to remember him in their prayers. Now, this would be true if we saw the value of praying for all the saints anyway and doing it always or without ceasing. Now, what can we deduce from this request? Well, a few things. We, again, we, we've touched on a couple of them before, but Paul is humble. He realizes his own inadequacy. He understands that his sufficiency is from God. He understands that it's God who provides all his needs and so that people would need to pray for him so that he could accomplish the mission in front of him. He recognizes his own dependency upon the intercessions of his friends. He sees the value in others' prayers for him or he wouldn't ask for it. So that's an interesting observation too. But he also realizes that the battle is ongoing and that prayers are continually needed. So we can deduce all of that from Paul's repeated requests throughout his letters that people would pray for him. Now, Paul makes three specific prayer requests here, and the first two are here in verse 19. He says, that utterance may be given to me, and that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel. So, if we start with that utterance, or words may be given to me. Here we have Paul's first specific prayer request. So, he's saying generally, pray for me. He's generally saying, pray for everyone, pray always, have that be the umbrella over your life. Then he's saying, that includes me. And now if we're going to talk about me, he says, the things I want you to focus on are the mission that's in front of me and these things that I specifically want you to be prayerful about as it relates to the success of the mission again. And I think we have to have this takeaway as we look at what Paul is asking people to pray for him because he's not specifically focused on other things, at least not here. He may be on an individual level or to individual people. He maybe says things about specific physical needs or emotional needs, financial needs. He, he's in all likelihood, he asks for those things too. But when he's addressing these whole churches, he's asking about things related to the mission. So he says that words may be given to me. Now, there's two primary or possible meanings here. One of them is that Paul is requesting the right words to speak. And I think there's a big part of that. The other part of it, though, is that Paul is seeking the right opportunity or permission to speak. So that the opportunity or the opportunity for utterance may be given to me. That's how some people take it. That's needed. Why not pray for that? That Paul's seeking the right opportunity or permission to speak. Remember in the context, he's in prison, he's in chains. He's waiting for his chance to speak to Caesar, so that's why some take it that way. The other thing, though, is that Paul generally is just playing, give me the right words to speak. That, that's the literal translation, that words may be given to me. And I hope you're praying that. See, both are needed and both should be matters of prayer. See, believers often struggle with finding the right words. Show of hands. Anyone struggle with finding the right words? I mean, you watch me do it up here. I'm assuming you do it from time to time too, maybe less frequently. But how about Moses? I mean, there's examples throughout the Scripture of people who just, they weren't, they didn't see themselves anyway as being good with words. So, is that something you should be praying for? Yes. There's also believers, though, that struggle with identifying the right opportunities to speak. Now, are the opportunities there? Are the opportunities there to speak boldly about Jesus Christ? The answer is yes. 
The fields are white. Again, principle, not text. The fields are white, though. There's people everywhere that need to hear about Jesus. So it's really not an issue of, is, are there opportunities? There's opportunities as long as there's people. That's a fact. And if you talk to people who are gifted evangelists, though I think it's a mistake to find comfort in the idea that I'm not ever sharing the message of hope that's in me because other people must be gifted for this and not me. Sometimes it has nothing to do with their giftedness. It has to do with their willingness and their prayer in their own life that they would be bold and they're just as uncomfortable as you are. The difference is they're just trusting the Lord with it and allowing them, allowing the Lord to give them victory to even go beyond their personality. Now, God gave you that personality, so he's not expecting everybody to, there are some people that are, I would say, are actually gifted with evangelism. They just have a knack for it. They're, they have the tools that God made a part of their personality that would contribute to it. But that didn't mean that God said, those people are gifted, which means that the others who aren't gifted shouldn't be or couldn't be doing it. No, God's saying within the context of who you are and your strengths and your weaknesses and your personalities, could you trust me to use you to speak my truth into the lives of certain people that I put in your path in your way, but as empowered and led and directed by me? Would there be any exceptions to that if God is a limitless God? And the answer is no. He wants all of us to open our mouths to boldly proclaim the truth, the glorious gospel to others. Now, we're not all going to be equally good at it or effective at it or have the same giftedness for it, but we can all do it in our own ways. And sometimes it's going to be uh, very different as we look at one person versus the next person. So, maybe that's something you struggle with, but God can provide and undertake for both, but only if you ask. Are you praying for that? Are you asking for that? And so then Paul's second request is that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel. So open my mouth represents the starting point of any proclamation. You can't tell somebody about something without first starting to speak, opening your mouth. So it starts with having a desire to speak. It starts with having a prayerful dependence on the Lord to undertake to give you the words to speak or the opportunity to speak. But then you need to actually open your mouth. And that's why Paul says, when I do that, I've already asked for you to pray that I would do it, but when I do it, would, would you pray that I could do it courageously? See, bold, boldly, that word means courageously or fearlessly, confidently, openly, or plainly. I love, of course, confidently, fearlessly, and courageously. Can you pray that I would have the opportunities, the words to speak, but then that I would open my mouth courageously and fearlessly. Are you praying that for yourself? Are you praying that for others? You can't request prayer for something unless you desire or see value in it first. Like you couldn't ask me to pray for that for you if you didn't see the value of courageously or fearlessly opening your mouth with the message that Jesus has given you of hope. And Paul is praying for something when he asks for this. He's praying for something that the Lord frequently provided him, which means he must have been praying for this often. We don't have the time for it this morning, but if you want to jot down 1 Thessalonians 2.2, 2, Acts 9.27, Acts 9.29, Acts 13.46, Acts 19.8, and Acts 26. 26, that can be a devotion for you this week. Each one of those times, Paul's message or his proclamation is said to be done with boldness. How could that have become true, apparently as a pattern in his life? Apparently because he saw the need to pray for it. He was wise enough to see, I wouldn't naturally do this, but I'm going to pray for this and I'm going to ask you to pray for this on my behalf. So then, open my mouth boldly for what reason? To, well, he says to make known, which just means to reveal or explain something. The mystery of the gospel. And the mystery of the gospel refers to God's revelation, which had previously been hidden in the Old Testament regarding the specific means of redemption, the details regarding the person and work of Jesus, which was pointed to but not revealed specifically, and then also his plan that believing Jews and Gentiles would be united together in Christ. That was a part of Paul's proclamation as he went around. He went first to the Jewish people when he came to town, 
And then usually he was rejected by them. And interesting observation that was brought, up to, brought to my attention by a friend last week or recently was that in, in part the rejection was associated with as he would speak to them, the others in the town would be interested in hearing what he had to say, but those would be Gentiles. And as they, as Paul would also share that message with them, and as the Jewish people would recognize that this wasn't a message that was reserved just to them, it was a message for all mankind, this message of hope and redemption, and as others would respond to it, then it would trigger this jealousy, uh, this jealous rejection that would then take place from the Jewish individuals that he had started talking to to begin with. And so you think about this plan, this mission. Paul says, naturally, there's a tendency to be ashamed. You, you maybe see this in Romans 1.16, for I'm not ashamed, he says, of the gospel of Christ. Why does he have to say that? Because there's a tendency to be ashamed. For it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. So that's a part of the message he was proclaiming. But this was the other part of it, for the Jew first and also for the Greek, meaning this is available to everyone in this this new dispensation of the church age where all are you going to be united in Christ, both Jews and Gentiles, which hadn't been something that had been revealed previously that God's plan would involve the church age. Now, Paul wanted to make the most of every application every occasion to proclaim Christ. That's what his prayer is really about when he says that I may boldly proclaim this mystery of the gospel. What's the essence of the gospel though? The essence of the gospel is Jesus Christ. And as you think about it, here's, I guess I skipped that that passage. There's several passages where Paul talks about how Christ is the focus of all of it is, all the things that we're proclaiming. That's the center of this message, this good news. The word gospel means a message of good news that we're proclaiming. And so he's saying, give me boldness that I could proclaim or explain or make known Jesus Christ. So 1 Corinthians 1.23, he says, but we, cre- we preach Christ crucified. 2 Corinthians 4.5, he says, we do not preach ourselves but Christ Jesus the Lord. Colossians 1.28, he says, him, meaning Jesus Christ, we preach. 1 Corinthians 2.2, 2, he says, for I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. What is the message that he's so desperate to have people pray pray that he would be bold in proclaiming. It's the message of Jesus Christ. So then he goes on to say, it's for that message that I am an ambassador in chains. This good news message of salvation through faith in Christ, that's why he's an ambassador in chains, but but specifically, it's the union of all believers now into the body of Christ. That was the message that caused the Jewish opposition. That's what directly caused Paul's imprisonment in Rome. That's what set the Jewish people off, not just their rejection of Jesus Christ, although it was primarily, primarily that, I would say, but secondary to that was his ongoing proclamation that there's now a, a church, a body of Christ in which bond and free, male and female, Jews and Gentiles are all united in one in Christ. And so you talk about this message of being an ambassador he says, we are, I, we are ambassadors. We have a message to proclaim. Ambassadors, a message to proclaim about what? An ambassador for Christ. So now then, 2 Corinthians 5.20, we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were pleading through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. For he made him, Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin for us. Who sins? All the sins of the world. He had to become that, even though he was this innocent, spotless Lamb of God. For what purpose in mind? That we might become the righteousness of God in him. We could be made right because Christ's righteousness could be credited to our account in exchange for our sinfulness that was laid on the Son of God. That's the message that we're proclaiming as ambassadors for Jesus Christ. And so that's why he then can end by saying that in it, meaning that in my chains, that in my incarceration... I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. He repeats it. So there's a third specific request. It's a repeat, though, that he would be fearless or bold in presenting this message while he is in prison, despite his imprisonment. So the idea you would have with the end there, as you look at that, I may speak boldly as I ought to speak, which is verse 20. Is he saying, pray that despite my imprisonment or my bonds, I might speak courageously as I should or in a manner consistent with my assigned mission? 
So you think, pray for boldness. Is that what you're praying? That you would speak courageously as you should or in a manner that's consistent with your assigned mission? You see, remember, Satan wants to either shut you up or lessen the impact of your message due to fear or lack of confidence or a third alternative is to influence you to proclaim something less important than Jesus. You know, those are really the three ways that Satan operates. He, he wants to either have you not say anything, or if you're going to say it, he wants you to do it fearfully, or with shame, or in a way where you're not confident, a way where you lack courage so it won't be very effective. Or the third thing is, he wants you to open your mouth boldly, but open your mouth boldly about the wrong things, about the things that are less important than the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. And those are the three possibilities. And so as you're praying for boldness, pray that I would speak courageously as I should, as I ought to speak, in a manner consistent with my mission. Are you praying? Is that the umbrella that's over your life? Are you praying that God would make that true in your life and in your thinking and in the lives of others? Are you praying for the right words? Are you praying for open doors? Are you praying for boldness to confidently proclaim Christ? And the reality is you should be. You should be praying that for yourself. You should be praying that for others. You should be praying that for me. I should be praying that for you. And if prayer is answered, and if God is exceedingly powerful and infinitely capable, now to him who is what? Able to what? Do exceedingly and abundantly above all that we ask, what's that? Prayer (laughs) or think. If we're praying, he can do exceedingly abundantly. In our context last time, the prayers were about spiritual matters, spiritual success. Can he make these things true in your life? The answer is yes. Could he answer your prayers as it related to my life? The answer is yes, but not if you never ask, not if you ever, never even bring it to him. That's the value of praying always. So pray for boldness. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, pray that you would give us boldness, confidence, give us the words to speak, the opportunities to speak. You would give us the Courage, the courage to speak, the fearlessness to speak, to proclaim the message that we've been assigned with as ambassadors for Christ, the message of hope that is in us. Pray that we would see how important that is. We would see the value of prayer.